It has been a joy the last six months to join you in the journey that God has called us on together, and particularly as we have served in Norfolk, Chesapeake, Christiansburg, etc., on various mission projects. Uh, what I have been so impressed in watching how God is using you is the incredible power within this congregation to bless other people and to bless other churches and to bless other communities. And I'm looking forward to the continuation of that journey to see how God is going to use us in the coming year, uh, both Lord willing overseas as well as uh, stateside and just being used of Him uh, to bless communities and people and neighborhoods with the gospel and the good news of the gospel about the Lord Jesus. So, God bless you, and thank you for blessing us, and thank you for the opportunity of calling us here to serve with you. You know, uh, when I was watching uh, the band this morning, I was looking uh, in particular at Josh uh, with that big beard he's got, and I was thinking about Aaron, uh, the priest of the Lord. And the passage that I read from you the, to you this morning, the beginning of the service from Psalm 133, I want you to imagine the scene with me. Moses is the leader of the nation of Israel, and he calls the people together. This is very early on in their journey as a nation. And he takes his brother Aaron and he says, God has set aside you and a group of you to serve under Aaron's leadership as the priesthood of the nation of Israel. It will be your responsibility to relate the people of Israel to God. And to designate this and to empower you for this, there is a special anointing oil and we say special because God gave specific instructions to Moses as to the ingredients of that oil. And Moses walks up to his brother and he begins to pour the oil on his brother's head. And as the people are there watching what is happening, they see the oil as it begins to fall onto Aaron's head. They watch it as it begins to drip down the side of his face. They watch it as it begins to drip across his beard and then off of his beard and onto his clothing. And the visible sign that God is saying to His people and that He is saying to Aaron is that I have set aside Aaron for the priesthood. I am empowering Aaron for the priesthood. He will be used of me to relate these people to me. He will stand between me and the people. And this anointment speaks of that. This oil flowing down his beard right now speaks of that. Freeze this image in your mind. And when the psalmist David sits down and he begins to write the 133rd Psalm, he says, that is what unity does. That coming together of what we know today is the body of Christ, when we have a common purpose and a common goal to honor and to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, when we have a common purpose that it is to help people grow in Christ and to share the good news of Jesus with people, that unity, that coming together in Christ is where God empowers us 
to be used of Him. Churches that are unified are churches that are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and people are drawn to what God is doing. And churches that are divided are churches where there is no work of the power of the Spirit, where we're just going through the motions, where God's work is not happening and people are even repelled by it. And if a church is divided long enough, it develops what I call a Teflon coating to it, that nothing sticks to it. Most of all, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what Paul is writing to the church at Rome about in Romans chapter 12, if you'll turn with me there, verses 17 and 18. He's saying, if you all want to know God's will and walk in God's will and walk in this power of the Spirit, if you want to know God's work among you, then you've got to treat each other right. And he lays out in very concrete, specific ways how we are to treat each other. Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 17. Now, Paul likes to get up in our business with this. It would be nice if Paul would just say, everybody get together and love each other and have a great time. But he doesn't do that. He lays out very specifically how we're supposed to get along with each other. And in so doing, he gets up in our business. He makes it difficult. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, the sermon outline is contained, last page of your bulletin. Please follow along with me, if you will. He says he wants us to live peacefully. How? First of all, he says we've got to reject retribution. We have got to reject the natural tendency that all of us have to retribution to getting even. Why do we want to engage in retribution? Somebody hurts us. Somebody does something to us that we don't like, we don't appreciate, and we get ticked off about it. And we want to get even with them. We don't feel like we got a fair shake. Maybe we even did something wrong, but what they dish back at us is ten times worse we feel like than what we deserve. You can't go long in life and go very far in life without coming to a place in life that you want to get even with somebody. That somebody said something about us, somebody did something to us, somebody pulled something over on us, however you want to put it, but we want to get even with them. And Paul says to us here, under the power of the Spirit, don't repay people evil for evil. Don't try to get even. Don't go around trying to even the score. Refuse to inflame the quarrel. Don't throw more fuel on it. Now notice he says, don't repay, verse 17, evil for evil. The word evil there, the Greek word that means something that is useless or destructive. Paul's saying here, folks, don't go live your life where you engage in a lot of useless behavior and useless anger and useless talking and trash-talking people and trying to get even. That kind of behavior is destructive. It is intended to hurt somebody else, but it is also equally destructive to you and I because when we practice it, we are in essence destroying ourselves even more than the person that we are trying to destroy. He says it is useless, useless to God. 
Oh, follow me on this. So many times we may think that what we say to get even is useful to us, but it is useless to God. And you see, the more behavior and attitudes that I engage in that are useless to God, the more useless to God I become. The more of my life that is consumed with useless behavior is the more that it's going to become consumed with, I become consumed with being useless to God. God cannot use me if I am consumed with getting even. God cannot use me if I am consumed with my grudge. God cannot use me and place His hand upon me if I am just wrapped up all the time in anger and bitterness and resentment. And the more I get wrapped up in that, the more everything in my life is going to be focused on how do I get even, how do I get even, how do I get them back for it. I become useless to Him. And folks in the church, what we have to watch is we hurt each other sometimes in the body of Christ. It's hard sometimes being part of the family of God. I know we sing songs, you know, we get sweeter by the days go by, and we all in love with each other, et cetera, et cetera, and that sounds nice. But let's be honest, some days it's just hard to get along with other folks in the body of Christ. Can I get an amen on that? All right. We can be honest, okay? And the, and the thing we want to do is we want to get even with each other when we get that way. We want to settle the score. And he says, keep your mouth shut. Hold your fire. Don't throw a stick of dynamite on that gas fire. You just blow things wide open. He says, because when you do that, you become useless to him. But how do we keep from doing that? It means that we've got to walk and live in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you engage, if you and I engage in a mud fight with somebody else, sooner or later the mud we're throwing is going to get on us. You see, one of the reasons he's warning us here about not going in this direction is that we inevitably become our enemy. We become our enemy. We become the person that we're trying to get even with. We end up taking on their characteristics. And you see, Satan is so clever in the way he works. Because Satan knows that we can be strong in our walk with God, but if we allow a place in our lives to become a place of unforgiveness and bitterness and we begin to live out of revenge, Satan gets his foot in the door of our lives. My mother used to have a quote. She had all these quotes when I was growing up. And one of her quotes was, and some of y'all probably know it, and you can say it with me, if you give the devil an inch, he will do what? He will take a mile, okay? And let me tell you the mile he takes. You see, when Satan gets his foot in the door, he won't just stay in the area of resentment and bitterness. He's going to have a heyday once he gets his foot in the door. So he'll get his foot in the door with the anger and bitterness piece, and then he starts pulling us in this direction and getting us in this to this temptation, et cetera, et cetera. And the next thing we know, you know, we're, we're getting sick all over the place because it's like an infection. If you start with an infection in one part of your body, that infection is not going to be happy to stay in one part of your body. It's going to spread all over your body. And when the revenge thing sets up in us, we are not satisfied for it to stay in just one part of our system. It spreads throughout and it begins to pull us down all over the place. I'll tell you another thing about retribution. You and I can never get even enough. We can never get even enough. We can never revenge enough. Back in the late 1800s, there were two families in the Kentucky 
West Virginia area who got into a first-class feud. You probably know their names, the Hatfields and the McCoys. All right, they became the standard of what it meant to have a big feud going. A number of years ago, they had a historical documentary that was done in drama form on the Hatfields and the McCoys. When the first McCoy shot one of the Hatfields at a community gathering and that Hatfield died, his son said to the other Hatfields, I want you to go and kill one of the McCoy brothers. McCoys and the Hatfields both had a whole bunch of sons in both families. And the Hatfield son says, I want you to go and revenge my dad and take out one of the McCoy boys. So that's what the Hatfields did. They went and they attacked the McCoys and they killed one of the McCoy boys. And at one of the most telling moments of that drama, that son sometime later says to the rest of the Hatfield family, I thought that killing that McCoy would heal my hurt. But it didn't. But it didn't. And you see, when we get revenge, the revenge never heals the way we thought it was going to heal. In reality, it just rips the wound deeper. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Peter is writing to a church that is undergoing tremendous persecution for the faith. Notice what he says. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Notice the second half of that verse. Bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. He said, I know your temptation is to want to get even, to repay evil for evil, but he's saying what I'm telling you to do is do the exact opposite of what your nature wants to do. In other words, start living in the supernatural instead of the natural. And the supernatural means that you're asking God to empower you to bless the very person you want to repay with evil. And why should you do that? He says, because you were called to do it. Why do you and I not repay evil for evil, but rather turn around and bless people? We do that because Jesus has called us to do that. Why? Notice the last sentence, part of that verse, that you may obtain a blessing. If I want to know and walk in and live in the blessing of God, then the way that I walk in the blessing of God is that I do not repay evil for evil, but I in turn bless the very person that I wish evil upon. I'm going to make a deliberate decision that I'm going to bless them instead of trying to be destructive to them. I'm going to bless them instead of trash-talking them. I'm going to bless them on social media instead of trying to use social media as a way to get even with them. I'm going to bless them. Why do I bless them? Not because they've earned it, not because they deserved it, not because they've asked for it, but for two reasons. Number one, Jesus has called me to bless them. Am I going to answer the call of my bitterness or am I going to answer the call of God? 
You see, too many Christians are not walking in the blessing of God because they are answering the call of their anger and their bitterness and their resentment instead of answering the call of God. Too many churches are divided and splintered because they are too busy answering the call of their flesh to get even with each other instead of answering the call of God. And at the end of the day, whose call do we respond to? Our flesh or Jesus? And he says, when you do that, you're going to live in the blessing of God. Oh, folks, living in God's blessing is so superior to living in our unforgiveness and revenge. Man, living in that that unforgiveness and revenge takes us into a barren wasteland. Living in the forgiveness of God and in the blessing of God takes us to a deeper, newer place with Jesus. That's his call to us. That's what he's got for us. Notice verse 17. He says, give thought. In other words, think about it. Move after your mind. Think after Jesus would think. Verse 17, to do what is honorable, to do what has value in the sight of all. Why does he say in the sight of all? Because what he's saying is people need to look at our lives and say that's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to serve Jesus. And sooner or later, later people are going to have to look at us and decide and watch how are we going to respond to somebody that needs forgiveness? How are we going to respond to somebody that did us in, that we want to repay evil for evil? How are people, people going to look and say, How are they going to respond to this? And when we respond by blessing that person, this is what people say. If that's the difference that Jesus makes in somebody's life, then maybe I ought to give some thought to following this Jesus. Maybe I need to give some thought to serving this Jesus. Maybe this stuff about Jesus is really reality. But when they look at us and we sing our hymns and our choruses and we do all of our churchy stuff and then we are bitter towards each other and unforgiving to each other, what do people say? They say those people in church are nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. They say it, they talk it, but they don't live it. And you know what the next thing they say is? They don't say, I just don't want to be part of the church. That's bad enough. They say, I don't even want to follow Jesus. When our behavior turns people away from our Savior... That is one of the greatest sins we can commit. My God, what in the world is the satisfaction of saying I got even and turned somebody away from Jesus in the process? There's no satisfaction in that. Notice what he says, verse 18. I love it. He says, as much as is possible. And I'm glad he added that in there. Live at peace with other people. Now, how in the world do we live in peace with other people? Because there are some people it looks like it is impossible to live at peace with. They just want to keep something stirred up all the time. And there are some folks that they just enjoy keeping something stirred up. That's how they get energized and they're kicked out of life is keeping stuff stirred up all the time. Well, first off, Make sure that we're at peace with God ourselves. Second, make sure you're at peace with yourself. If we hate ourselves and we're angry with ourselves, we're not at peace and we can't be at peace with other people if we're not at peace with ourselves and at peace with the Lord. Now this one is tough. Make sure you're at peace with where you are in life. You know, you don't have to live too long to discover that life has a way of just not turning out the way sometimes we think it's going to turn out. 
Have any of you all ever been at a place in life that you've just stepped back and said, I thought I would never be at this place in life? And where in the world is God in the middle of this? And coming to a place where I can just say, you know, this is not where I thought I was going to be. And things are not turning out the way I thought they were going to turn out. But you know, God's bigger than this and God is in this. And I've got to find a way to find God in this and be at peace that God's brought me to this place. And find, find the peace of God in the midst of circumstances that, that I did not want to have in my life. I got a phone call this week from a brother in Christ, Tracy King. Tracy and Pamela, about three to four years ago, went to Roanoke to be missionaries to start a new church in Roanoke to reach the inner city of Roanoke. I got to know them because they came to Hampton Roads to work with us in our South Hampton Roads mission project over several summers and labored alongside of us. I saw Tracy and Pam last November at the SBCV, uh, our State Baptist Convention annual meeting at First Baptist Roanoke. We had some good time to talk and catch up with each other. They had worked with us the previous summer. In January, Pam began experiencing a lot of pain and subsequently discovered that she had a tumor that was cancerous and the cancer had gone into her bone. And she wasn't able to be a part of Shrimp this year. Those of you that went with us to Shrimp, we, we got on the phone with her one day and we had the whole team pray for her. Tracy called me this week. We had talked back and forth and um, he said, David, Pamela went to be with the Lord. And here he is, Tracy's probably in his, about my age, maybe a little bit younger. He's got, I think, two kids in high school. And life has not panned out for him the way he thought it was going to pan out for him. How do you make peace at a place in life like that that's so difficult? That's what he's getting at here. I can't make peace until I find that place of peace of where God is in my life. He says, do that as so far as it depends on you. We cannot control the other person in a relationship. But we can control ourselves. We can control their actions and reactions. But we can control our actions and reactions. And we got to make sure we're not the one that breaks the peace, but we are the one that works for there to be peace. We got to get to the place where we just give it to the Lord and go on. Give it to the Lord and go on. When I was serving as pastor in Virginia Beach, I was a young guy in my early 30s, and I got into that pastorate and got going good, and I had a couple in that church that as far as they were concerned, I could not walk straight and chew gum right. I mean, they criticized just about everything that I did, and what used to just infuriate me is we had monthly business meetings, and if you can imagine that, I mean, we have one annual one here, but we had one a month. We had a finance committee meeting one, 
week and then the business meeting the following week. My wife used to tell me, she said, Honey, that week of the month, you're in the worst mood of the entire month between the finance committee and the business meeting. He came every month. And what used to just infuriate me with this couple is we had a prayer time before we went into the business meeting. They would strategically come in after the prayer time just for the business meeting and then start raising Cain in the business meeting. I had one business meeting one night. I was so angry after it was over with. I got in my car. I drove to my house. I put my jogging outfit on, and I thought, I'm going to run through this neighborhood until I get this anger out of my system. Now, we lived in the hood, and there were gangs that were operating in the local park. And that night, I didn't care how many gangs were out there. I thought, you were letting some gang member get in front of me. I'm so ticked off right now, I take them out and keep on jogging around the park. <laughs> so I, I, th these people just got on my case all the time. Every time I saw them coming, have you ever had people like that in your life? And you just see them coming, and the juices start flowing, and your stomach crunches up, and you just, oh. So anyway, in the middle of all this, I went to a church conference. And uh, Charles Roselle was pastor of a church in Florida at the time, doing a great work for God. And he was one of the speakers. And uh, during one of the breaks in the conference, I went up to him, and I said, Pastor Roselle, I got a question for you. I said, this is what's going on in my church. And I got this couple, they're driving me nuts, and they're writing my case all the time, and I am so sick of it, and on and on and on and on. And i never forget what he said to me. He looked at me, and he said, let me tell you something. He said, when a farmer goes out to plow his field, and there is a stump in the middle of the field, he can either stop and spend the rest of his day trying to dig up that stump or he can plow around it and keep on going. And then he looked at me and he said, if I were you, I would just plow around these people and keep on going. And I stood there and I thought, that is a word from the Lord to me. And I thought about that often. I can get obsessed with the stump that is in front of me. Or I can just plow around it and keep on going. And I think what Paul's trying to say to all of us is, folks, there are going to be some stumps in all of our lives. There are some people there that get on our nerves, that enjoy getting on our nerves, that are difficult to work with, that we are not going to be able to change, um, et cetera, et cetera. The law does not allow us to kill them, even though we'd like to do that at times, uh, et cetera. So what's the answer? We can either become mesmerized with the stump in our path or we can say to the glory of God, I'm just going to plow around them and I'm going to keep on going. I'm not going to be stump focused. I am going to be Jesus focused. I'm not going to sit here and beat on this stump and wear all my time and energy out on this stump. I'm going to focus on Jesus. I'm going to plow around them and I'm going to keep on going. And when I look at them as I pray around them, I'm not going to look at them and cuss them out. I'm just going to say, bless you in Jesus' name, and I'm going to keep on going towards Him. Let's pray. Lord, help us to plow around the stumps in our lives, to stay focused on Jesus, and to keep on going to your glory. Lord, we got so much we can look at in life that is so much more important than stumpy type people. 
we got you. Lord, help us just to look to you. Jesus, teach us what it is to let go and give it over to you. Give them over to you. Teach us what it is, Lord, to bless them. For we know that you will use the blessing. God, your word says that some 40 plus days after the crucifixion, that many of the priests who called for your blood on the day you were crucified believed on you. That's because you didn't curse them from the cross. You blessed them from the cross. God, help us, teach us, empower us by the Holy Spirit to do the same. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to invite you in just a moment as we sing just to do business with God during this invitation. And if you have stopped at some stump in your life and you can't get past it, say, God, with your help, it's time to play around, plow around this stump and to start moving forward for you, Lord. I can't control them. I can't control what they say to me and do to me, but I can control me. And I can set a course for my life that is focused not on them and what they say and do, but on Jesus. And to be shaped and molded and become like Him, not to become like this stump. And so I invite you to do business with God. And if you're here and you need to give your life to Jesus and follow Him and serve Him, then as we sing, I invite you to walk the aisle and say, Pastor, today I want to follow Jesus, I want to serve Jesus. I invite you to come. If you feel that God is calling you into the ministry and you need to surrender to that call, I invite you to come so this church can pray with you and encourage you in living out that calling. And if God is calling you to become part of this church family and to serve us, excuse me, to serve with us as we serve Him, then I invite you to come. The altar is always open if you just need to come and pray. Father, have your way with us in these moments we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.